Okay. Revelation chapter 17. <clears throat> We're ending the book of Revelation very soon, and as we approach the end, narratively, we are approaching the end of planet Earth as we know it. I'm going to read two chapters. We'll read them to begin with, and then we'll talk about them afterwards. <clears throat> Beginning in chapter 17, verse 1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus, and when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. But the angel said to me, Why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not, and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that was and is not, and yet is. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. And the beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth, and is of the seven, and is going to perdition. And the ten horns <clears throat> which you saw <clears throat> are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war with the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And those who are with him are called chosen and faithful." And he said to me, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind, and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. After these things, <clears throat> I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a habitation of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. 
For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. And the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and that God has remembered her iniquities. Render to her just as she rendered to you, and repay her double according to her works. In the cup which she has mixed, mix for her double. In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as queen and am no widow and will not see sorrow. Therefore her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. And the kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron, and marble, and cinnamon and incense, fragrant oil and frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and bodies and souls of men. And the fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you, and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more at all. The merchants of these things, who became rich by her, will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing, and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, for in one hour... Such great riches came to nothing, and every shipmaster, all who travel by ship, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea, stood at a distance, and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is like this great city? And they threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing, and saying, Alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she is made desolate. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you, holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus, with violence, the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found any more. The sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, and trumpeters shall not be heard in you any more. And no craftsman of any craft shall be found in you any more. And the sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you any more. And the light of a lamp shall not shine in you any more. And the voice of bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you any more. For your merchants were the great men of the earth. For by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all who were slain on the earth. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, 
Alleluia! Salvation and glory and honor and power to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. Again they said, Alleluia! And her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who sat on the throne, saying, Amen. Alleluia. Okay. Babylon the Great. In a way, I have a much <clears throat> more exciting time in speaking from the book of Revelation because I get to prepare these messages. And uh, as I studied these two chapters, I, the anticipation, the excitement uh, was increasing because as you begin to understand what God is doing here in the judgment of Babylon the Great, you realize there's a wonderful link with the millennium, and we'll talk about that this morning. But um, we're going to see how this really ties in to God, like making the last step, if you will, in preparing the time for when the Lord Jesus will come and set up his reign here on the earth. We uh, want to uh, point out this is a special judgment. By that we mean it has a special target. God calls it a city. It's Babylon the Great. There are only a few judgments like that. If you remember last time when we looked at the bowls, there were two that had special uh, targets. And when I say it, what I mean is a certain group of people. Uh, the first and the fifth had as their target the people who had the mark of the beast who worshipped Antichrist. Remember that? And when you read along in the book of Revelation, notice when things are different. And whereas most of the seals and the trumpets and the bowls kind of target the earth in general, there are a few where God seems to be singling out individuals or groups. Or in this case, it's a system that he is particularly reserved for judgment. And so this is, um, it's really broader than a city, and we'll see that as we get into it. It's really a system. I don't know if you noticed when we read along, but chapters 17 and 18 are different. Did you notice that? I'm not going to quiz you as to the details, but anybody notice that? Yes? No? You're going to check now and see if they are? <laughs> They're really two separate acts of judgment. Even though the target is the same, they're really different. Um, first of all, you should notice, uh, there are two angels. Did you notice that? Chapter 17, the angel who uh, speaks to John here is one of the angels who had one of the bowls. We don't know which one. Whereas, notice verse 18, after the, and this is important, after these things. God uses that phrase to introduce a, a new subject throughout the book of Revelation. It's like, okay, now that I've seen that, now we're going to show you something else. This is important. 18 begins, after these things, I saw another angel. And it's an entirely different angel. He's not a bowl angel. We don't know who it is, but he has great authority. And, his, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. Imagine how great this angel must be. That's the first signal that chapter 7 and 18 are not talking about the same thing, the same act. Uh, one of the big differences in chapter 17, if you notice... It's the people of the earth 
who take on Babylon the Great. Did you notice that? You didn't. Look back. Verse 16. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh and burn her with fire. You see that? Now, God worked in their hearts, 17, for God has put it into their hearts to fulfill His purpose, but it's the people that did it, that judged the harlot, that tore her down, so to speak. Whereas, 18, it's, it's clearly the judgment of God. And in fact, we're going to tie this together with some previous verses we saw. This will all fit in a second here. In, in chapter 17, uh, one of the key words is abomination. It's there twice. It doesn't occur in chapter 18. And throughout the scripture, whenever that word appears, God uses it to talk about idolatry, false religion. In fact, throughout the Old Testament, he uses that word to talk about the idolatry of the nation of Israel. When the Antichrist sets up the uh, image of himself, Jesus calls it the abomination of desolation in Matthew chapter 24. So, I mentioned this before in a previous message. What we're leading up to is, there are two aspects of the judgment of, of Babylon the Great. The first is the judgment of religious Babylon, or as some of the commentators say, ecclesiastical Babylon. The second is the judgment of the commercial and political aspects of Babylon. We're going to talk about who Babylon is in a minute. Sit tight. We want to get there slowly here. Uh, and the key word that you don't find in chapter 17, you'll find in 18, is the word, now in my version it's luxury, and it's three times. You might have had other words. In chapter 3, for example, uh, pardon me, verse 3 of chapter 18, the verse ends, the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her, and it says luxury in mine. What does it say in some of your wealth? Okay. Delicacies, yeah. It says deliciousness, by the way, or something like that in uh, Old King James, if anybody has that. Yeah, but it's, it's the same word. It's one word, and it occurs three times. It occurs again in seven, in the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously. What, what does yours your say? Sensuously, yeah. Okay? That's the, it's, it's the same word in the Greek. And I'll tell you what it is in a minute. In verse 9, in the kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously. Uh, it's the same word again. It's an unusual word and it occurs three times in this chapter. The interesting thing is you, you uh, can know right away what the word, you know what it is in the original? Strenuous. You could, you could pronounce it that way in Latin and it's very close to that in Greek. It's the word, it's where we get our word strenuous from. I always thought the word strenuous came from the word strain, didn't you? You know, it's strenuous work. That means you're straining yourself. No. The word etymologically comes from this word. And it's a very intense word. It's describing the pursuit of pleasure in such a way that you're straining every fiber to do it. It's a very strong word. Sounds like people today, doesn't it? It's a strenuous <laughs> pursuit of pleasure. Just as an aside, by the way, this would make a great sermon. There are some wonderful, intense words in the Greek that are used to describe things that people should or shouldn't do. This is one of them, the word strenuous, and it describes people's pursuit of pleasure. Jesus said, uh, in, in one place where he talked about going through the narrow gate, remember what he said? He said, 
to strive to enter in through the narrow gate. You know what the word there is? You know what it is in the original though? We're, we're, you've heard this before. It's agonizo. It's a word we get agonized from. Isn't that interesting? How serious are you here about some of you young people? I see some people going to sleep on me here. How seriously are you seeking God? You know what Jesus said? He said, strain yourself, agonize about it. It's that important. You know, we put all our effort into so many things in this life that aren't going to amount to a hill of beans. Man, if there's one thing you should be serious about and put all your energy into, it's seeking God. And Jesus said, agonize about it. (laughs) Amen, Jesus. You said the right thing there. Two other times. When he says... Uh, Paul writes in one of the epistles, pursue righteousness. That's a strong word. This is, this is good. You know, we're, we're uh, I don't know if we're big fans on uh, physical exercise as much as we used to be. We're getting fatter, I understand. But if you want to know what to exercise about, this is addressed to Christians. Now, pursue, and it's a strong word, righteousness. And then it says, flee elsewhere, youthful lust and sexual immorality. And that's another, it's a different word. It's a strong word. It means to beat feet. Get out of there. Isn't that good? I think we miss a lot of this when we study the Bible, the intensity of some of the words. And here we have a very intense word uh, describing what the people of the earth did with Babylon the Great. It was a headlong pursuit of pleasure. Literally an abandonment to seek pleasure. Okay. I said that each of these chapters really ties in with a previous verse. Let me just show them to you. Turn back to uh, chapter 14. You're going to hold your finger here because I'm going to show you the other. There's two places. Well, we've already seen God say, Babylon the Great has been judged. Okay? 14, verse 8. And another angel followed saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. So, why are we reading 17 and 18? It's already happened. And it happened twice. And then, uh, we just saw this last time, in chapter 16, right at the end, remember the last bowl? Anybody remember that? Remember that it involved Babylon? Verse 19. After the angel poured out his seventh bowl, now the great city was divided into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. This is after the great earthquake, remember. And great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Notice here, by the way, this is the judgment of God. It says plenty, God did this one. Okay? So here are two, again, separate statements about the judgment of Babylon the Great. And... The point is, the first one ties in with chapter 17. It's the judgment of the great uh, religious system of the world that existed at the rise of Antichrist. We're getting there right now. We're getting very close. I'll tell you, world religion is right around the corner. In fact, it's here in many, many places already. You know that, right? I mean, the ecumenical movement that began decades ago of, quote, the Protestant church joining with the Catholic church. That's a done deal. And now we're bringing in, uh, you know, Muslims and Hindus and animists, as well as Jewish rabbis, you name it. All one big, you know, let's stir it all in one big pot. And it's looked upon as a good thing. And that is what God is going to judge and is going to coalesce. It's going to be one thing. 
one great world religion. And just when it reaches its peak, it's judged. But you notice, by Antichrist and his followers, we saw that in chapter 17. Well, it, it fits, we're going to look at it, it's, it's very clear, hold your thumb in chapter 14, we're going to look at it. The context here is a religious judgment. Now let's stand back, because we need to see what God is doing here. We get sometimes our noses so deep in Revelation, we lose the bigger picture of what God is doing. Ever since the fall, let's go back in time. <laughs> you know, way back. We, people, mankind, has, has been, how can I put it, involved in trying to reestablish paradise apart from God. Think about it. Isn't that true? I mean, if you could summarize man's activity since the fall, that's a simple statement to summarize the history of mankind. We have been trying to get back to what we got kicked out of on our own and leave God out of it. Isn't that true? Yes. This nation leads the way. We are trying to get back less work, more pleasure, more fun, safety, certainty, you know, you name it. All those things that we had and threw away in Eden, we're trying to get it back, but without God. In fact, there's a word for the system that, that describes this effort. And by the way, we're not the main movers behind it. You know who the main mover behind it is? It's the devil. Yeah. And there's a word for it in the New Testament. In the Greek, it's called cosmos. It's the word that's translated world. It's his system that is designed to keep people... I don't need God. I'm asleep. I'm fine. You know, Give them that inoculation. Give them that daily dose of pleasure. Get them caught up in whatever it is, as long as it keeps them busy enough so they don't see God. It's a horrific system. It's worldwide. And if you looked over planet Earth right now, 99.99% of the people are in it, including many in this room. If you don't know Jesus Christ, that's where you are. You are a citizen of the world in the biblical sense. Right? And this has been going on since the fall. And God is going to finally come down on it. And it's going to be culminated in a city by then. And the religious system... Now, every, okay, let's go ahead and address the issue right now. Everybody's saying, well, what's the city? And I think maybe half of you at least are sitting here saying, oh, it's Rome! Right? We don't know. Uh, it's, it's interesting how I told you last time when we talked about the kings of the north and the east and the king from the south, how, depending on what year you read the commentary, you know, they're either communists or, you know, so it's Russia or it's Turkey or whatever. And a lot of commentators like to say, well, it's obvious that it's Rome with the papacy, you know, and the inquisitions and all that stuff. And that's such a, a small view. You see, it's bigger than that. God is not just judging the Catholic Church. It's the world religion. I'll tell you, uh, there's been a lot more than the Catholic Church in operation since the fall when it comes to false religion and killing godly people. God traces it all the way back to the death of Abel is the first one slain by his brother. So it may be Rome. We don't know. In fact, if you want to be honest about it, the only other place in the, in the book of Revelation where he uses this phrase, the great city, and he tells us what it is, is back in chapter 11. Look there. You know what the city is, by the way? It's Jerusalem. 
Verse 8, chapter 11, talking about the two witnesses. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt. How do we know it's Jerusalem? Well, he says, where also our Lord was crucified. That's the only other place where he uses the phrase the great city. No, I'm not saying therefore it's Jerusalem. I'm just saying just be careful. We don't know that it's Rome. We don't know what it is. It's a symbolic name. It's, it's not important to us where. It's important why, what he's judging and why he's judging it. So that we recognize it and keep away from it. <laughs> That's why he says over and over again, my people, get out of there. Don't, don't get in it. It's really linked with, you know, we're in the world but not of it. And it's also significant that here in, in chapter 11, you see these are symbolic names. He calls Jerusalem. He doesn't even ever call it Jerusalem here. He uses other names symbolically. Sodom and Egypt. Why? They were worldly. You know, they were just like Babylon. We're going to talk about that in a minute. It's like the great epitome of the world system. You know, pursuit of pleasure, lust, doing everyday things, anything. But think about God. Egypt was a great example of that. Sodom was the ultimate example of it. Babylon probably is the greatest example. And it's the first one and it's continued to this day. Okay. Are you with me? You following this? Okay. Now, let's look at chapter 14. We're going to look at these two verses. We looked at 14 out of context. That is, we only read the one verse. Now, we went over this before. I, I pointed out to you. This is a religious judgment Look at the context. Look at the verses before. Verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. It's a statement of the truth. Worship. Do you understand? You see that? The gospel. Here it is. The truth. Praise God. Do you know the gospel? Do you believe it this morning? If so, you're saved by it. It's that big of a message. <coughs> then he talks about the judgment of Babylon in this context. It's, this is all the theme of worship, of religion. Verse 9, then a third angel following. The first one talked about the truth. The second one talked about the judgment of the false religious system. The third one is going to talk about the establishment of the new false religious system, which the Antichrist sets up to replace the old one. If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God and so on. Okay? Three angels. First one talks about true religion, true worship, the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ. Second one talks about the first false religious system that was judged. We knew that and we can say when this happens. Right in the middle of the, of the tribulation period, the beginning of the great tribulation. Right? Are you with me? We've said this so many times. Last seven years of planet Earth, in the middle, is when, way back in Daniel 9, it says that he will break the treaty, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. There he's entering worship. And then in uh, Matthew 24 and in the other Gospels, Jesus says plainly that at that point, the beginning of the Great Tribulation, he sets up the abomination of desolation, which is explained in Second Thessalonians 2 as an image of himself so that he is worshipped as God. So that at the beginning of the Great Tribulation, halfway through the seven years, this world system of religion, which we are moving very quickly toward right now, and which is going to be represented, headed up in some city, 
God calls it figuratively Babylon, is going to be judged, and God's going to use the people of the earth to judge it, and particularly the Antichrist. It's going to be gone. There's not going to be any religion tolerated after that point except one. Worship of the Antichrist. Okay? All right. Uh, the second <clears throat> verse we said that really fits with chapter 18, which is the judgment of the, the commercial Babylon, the other, the other half of the world, if you, if you will. Okay, let's think back on this cosmos, the, the devil's system. He puts people to sleep. He keeps them, quote, happy without God with just day-to-day -day business, money, pursuit of wealth, pursuit of pleasure, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And false religion. We have to have some kind of religion, and so he gives it to us. It's false. So the 17 was the judgment of the religious system, and the second is the judgment of the commercial center. And we saw that back in chapter 16, verse 19. And there, it's the direct judgment of God. It's like the very last thing before the Lord Jesus Christ visibly returns. It's the last bowl. Okay? So that happens at the end of the Great Tribulation. So at the beginning is chapter 17, the beginning of the Great Tribulation, and chapter 18 really is at the end, the very end, just before the visible return of our Lord. Okay? Okay, well, as I said, it, we need to stand back, you see, why is God doing this special judgment? You know, people read and they say, well, what's so horrible about the city? Well, it's more than the city, you see. It's, he's really finally coming down on what man has been doing since the fall in cooperation with the devil in setting up a system to basically reestablish paradise without God. You see, we're so used to it. We live in it right now. We may be in it. Hopefully we're not of it, brothers, brothers and sisters. You know, but think about it a second. The world system right now is, is godless. God is not in it. When does God headline the newspapers? <laughs> you know that's abnormal. You know, we're so used to it. We think that's the way things should be. No! Do you know what's normal? When the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's normal. We need to remember that. This is abnormal. This is wrong. And it's been wrong for thousands of years. And so along with these judgments on the earth in which the individuals are going to feel them, and, and some of them will repent and turn to Christ, he is in particular going to take on, finally, this, this system that's been set up, and we're going to look at it in Genesis, really beginning with the fall. Did you see? Revelation 17 is it's a bigger thing than the Catholic Church or any single group. So let's, let's go back now into Genesis and just look at this now, and maybe you'll see some verses in a different light. I think sometimes we see these phrases of the beginnings of things and don't really realize here we are this is nothing has happened yet except creation the moment in paradise we don't know exactly how long that lasted and then the sin and then uh, God's judgment in casting Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve out of Eden the next event, of course, is Cain killing Abel. 
which, by the way, is think of, think of how that fits into what God was talking about in Revelation uh, 17 about the blood of the saints and the prophets. It began right there. Here was Abel, a godly man, worshiping God the way he should, and Cain saying, no, 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 I want to worship God this way. And, and by the way, what's the summary of it's self-effort, isn't it? And he kills the one who's worshiping God the right way. Isn't that interesting? It began right there. And what does Cain do? This is very interesting. Verse 16. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, very significant phrase, and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch, and he, notice, built a city. Isn't that interesting? And you say, oh, that's it, you know, that's like, okay, that's history, you know. Okay, we're seeing civilization, you know, progressing. <laughs> it's interesting that it's a city that God judges. When we see the uh, advent of civilization in the early uh, stages of Genesis, do you know what we're seeing? We're seeing the building of the cosmos. Now, I'm not saying cities in and of themselves are evil, but why do they build cities? Well, particularly in these days, they had walls. It was for safety. It was for protection. It was for strength. We're going to see that later in chapter 9. For power. A lot of things happen when people get together in one community and do things in common, don't they? Isn't that interesting? And certainly, it helps to make life a little easier after the curse. Uh, verse uh, 20. And Adah bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. Nothing wrong with that. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the harp and the flute. Well, that's nice. We like music, don't we? And as for Zillah, she also bore Tubal-Cain, an instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron. Isn't that good? I mean, makes life a little easier, right? How would you like to try cooking dinner without any pots and pans? Nothing wrong with that. And the sister of Tubal-Cain was Naamah. Then Lamech said, Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, O wives of Lamech. Listen to my speech. For I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. Here we have boasting. In fact, really, it's, it's blasphemous because he's, he's uh, saying, I'm going to do better than God. Remember, God said he would avenge uh, Cain if anybody touched him. And he's saying, well, I'll do better than God. I'll do it seventy-sevenfold. The interesting thing to me is, if you notice, if you remember what we saw in Revelation, every one of these things is itemized as being characteristic of Babylon the Great. Do you notice that? The, the, the musical instrument said the sound of won't be heard anymore. The craftsmen and the bronze, they're not going to be doing it anymore. Isn't that interesting? The city is going to be leveled. It's a city. Now, in and of themselves, you'd see these things could be okay if they were kept in their place. The problem is they aren't. That's the problem. They are used to replace God in our lives. Music has become stage plays, have become movies, has become Hollywood. How much does Hollywood account for people, the hours in people's lives each week? It's incredible. For what purpose? To bring us nearer to God? No. The craftsmen, the... Uh, the tools. Now we're in the age of technology. You know, to do anything, you just push a button nowadays. 
you know, cell phones, the internet. Think about it. We, we've come to the point to where, uh, look, look at it now. This is a good time to think about Revelation chapter 3. Boy, does this ever describe planet Earth. Jesus talking to the church at Laodicea. Revelation 3, verse 17. Jesus says, Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. There it is. That's what we want to get to where we have no needs, particularly no need of God. That's, that's the place where human beings strive for, you know? Self-sufficiency. Isn't that interesting? You know what God's name is? I am. That's what he's saying there. I need nothing. I am self-sufficient. We're becoming our own little gods, you see. I need nothing. Only God can say that. Now, we say that, but it's not true. We think it is. And so he straightens them out. He says, and you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Why? Because you don't have me. It's all, it's all a false system. You're blind. You're deceived. You, you've uh, developed this. It's, man, it's so huge and cumbersome now, this world system. To make yourself self-sufficient and happy and safe without God and content, and it's all a lie. Because you're wretched, poor, blind, miserable, and naked. That's what Jesus says. And it's so significant. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire and so on. You need me. You haven't, you haven't improved the situation any. In fact, you've made it worse because you've deceived yourself into thinking you're okay. And you're not. Okay, well, back to Genesis now. We'll look at one more uh, passage there, chapter 11. You see, this, this uh, progress, this slow uh, narrative in Genesis about the um, advent of civilization is not all a good thing. You see, God is tracing the origins of the world system here in Genesis Genesis 11. Here, here was really uh, the first version of what we're seeing today. People coming together as one and defying God. Chapter 11, verse 1. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar. You know where that is? It's where Babylon was founded. And they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, Come and let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar and they said, come. I want you to notice the occurrence of the phrase us or ourselves or something like that here. Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one and they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from, over the from there over the face of all the earth and they ceased building the city. Therefore its name is called Babel or Babylon because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord scattered from them abroad over the face of all the earth. 
And ever since that tower, we have been again in a mad dash to try to rebuild the tower. And this whole talk about world unity and coming together from religion to commerce and everything else, it's, it's this all over again. It's just that God has made it so difficult. It's taken us thousands of years because of the language barriers. <laughs> but I'll tell you, uh, World uh, Airlines has helped overcome that problem and the Internet has just speeded it up by orders of magnitude. And the barriers are coming down all over the place. Of course, Europe is a great example of it where the barriers, the ethnic and language barriers are coming down. We're seeing it right now. It's happening again. And it's been happening since then. And you see, this is why God chose the symbolic name of Babylon. Babylon was the original place where this took place. It was the first really great city. And you can look in secular books, and they agree. This is the first known great city, quote-unquote. And to this day, they go dig up the ziggurats, you know, the towers. They're all over the place around there. And from here on out, it was the high places that were the centers of false religion. And now if we had time, we could summarize the book. Anybody ever heard of the book, uh, The Two Babylons? Okay, it's a great, uh, Hislop wrote it, it was a, it's a great study where he starts with Babylon, and that's where false religion really had its strong beginning. It was the mystery religions, and they went on into Egypt, uh, and all the deities there, later on, later on into Greece, and then Rome, the Roman systems, they all had their roots and their corresponding gods and goddesses right here in Babylon, false, false religion, substitute religion as well as the, the uh, commerce and, and the cities and so on. Okay? Are you with me? You see, so chapter 17 and 18, it's bigger than a city. It's bigger than Rome or whatever city it is. And it's so right. I tell you, it needs to be done. This has been going on since the fall. And God is finally, in a particular special way, besides uh, hitting the earth with asteroids and comets and and gamma ray bursters and who knows what else, he is especially, particularly, going to judge the system that has been set up, backed by Satan, and accomplished by man to replace him. To replace him in our lives. It's so right. And that's why you see that scene in heaven, boy, where they're saying, Amen. At last, you know, it's happened. So, boy, is there application for our lives? I would say so. You know, come out from her, he says. We need to, as believers, we, I face it all the time, and I know you do too, of being sucked back into the world, you know. One of my first memory verses was uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. But then the second verse and be not conformed to this world. That's a command, and he knows he says that because we have a tendency to do that. And it's a strong word in the original. You know it. It literally says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. I can remember, man, in junior high and high school, I wanted so much to be like everybody else. I don't know if, it's, if there's a time when it's stronger than when you're a person about that age. And in those days, the thing to do was to wear blue Levi's with the cuff rolled up so you could see the light blue about up to here. And you had pinstripe shirts. And in the winter, you wore an Angora sweater that matched the pinstripes. And you were cool if you did that. You'd be laughed at nowadays. 
you know. Whatever it is today, you know, uh, we call them penguins, the guys that wear the crotch down to here, you know, walk like that. Is that cool now? Is that still cool or is that out now? It's, it's back in again. Now we laugh at it, but it's a way of making kids want to be accepted. It gives them happiness, they think. It gives them security. All the things that everybody wants as a person, whether you're two or 200, but it's a lie. It's a deception. It's a way of just making you behave whatever you're going to do as long as you don't need God. Leave God out of it. You bring God into it, I'll tell you. You're going to lose a lot of friends. I'll be upfront with you about that, you young people. You come to Jesus, a lot of your friends are going to say, man, you're weird. I'll tell you, you look at this system of what God's going to do to it. Would you rather be a part of that? Or would you rather be on the winning side with Jesus? I mean, that's a no-brainer to me. Or as they say today, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure that one out. Right? Think about it, young people. Better to be with Jesus and have His love and real security, by the way, and acceptance and all the other things that you want so much in your life than to have the phony form of it. Which doesn't last, by the way. And it's not, it, there's no depth to it. I love the way uh, the author of Proverbs put it in chapter 30. He said, I've made two prayer requests of God. I've asked two things of the Lord. One of them he said, keep falsehood and lies away from me. That's good. That's a good prayer request. The second one is, he said, I don't want to be too rich or too poor. Isn't that good? He said, lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of the Lord my God. Or, and here's the world, lest I be rich and forget the Lord my God. Isn't that interesting? There it is. There's the world right there. You know? We got all this stuff. You know, what uh, is, is going out of style now, but the license plate border, you know, he who dies with the most toys wins. That's, that's the world statement right there. What a lie. We could have a whole message just on the world. Uh, Bill does a good series on, on the world. It's, it's a real thing. It's there. Okay, it's active and alive. Boy, is it ever. Because 99.99% of the, of the people of the world are in it. And they know nothing about God and they care nothing about God. It works. It's successful. Just a few uh, reminders to us as believers. Jesus said in John that we're in the world, but not of it. 1 John chapter 2, good memory, memory verses there. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of God is not in him. Isn't that interesting? For all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of the life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. In Galatians 6, here's, here's a good one. Paul said this about himself. He said, God forbid that I should boast, save in the cross of Christ Jesus my Lord, by whom the world is crucified to me and I to the world. That's good. As I said, this, is, this to me was so exciting, you see, because God is clearing the deck. He is making way for setting up a system which is the way it should be. Where Jesus Christ is going to be here on earth. Ruling. Okay? And let's just look at a few verses. We'll talk about it more next week. We're going to have so much to look at. I, 
I said we'd finish Revelation this month. I don't know if I'm going to be able to live up to that promise or not. We've got so many things to look at before we finish. But Isaiah chapter 11. Just a little foretaste here to remind ourselves. This is... Now, when I say this is the way it should be, even in the millennium, it's still not a perfect state. You know that. We talked about this before. It's, it's neat how God has tried man in all these various circumstances in his relationship with him, and every one of them has ended in failure for man. It's not a failure for God. It's just God is demonstrating in every possible way, no matter what he does, we stray from him. And he alone is faithful. And we began with Eden, perfect setting, and what do we do? We sinned. And we went through the ages of conscience. We had the law. We have the age of grace now. The church. And it's going to end up in apostasy. We're there right now. And even the millennium, with the Lord Jesus Christ personally here ruling the earth, hard to believe there's going to be a great war where we're going to rebel against him. When I say we. You know when I use that word, I mean mankind. I'm not one of them, praise God, anymore. But it's the closest thing probably to... Restoring Eden. The real restoration is going to be the eternal, the eternal state after the millennium. But this is, this is uh, pretty close. Listen to some of these verses. Isaiah 11, <clears throat> uh, verse, verse 1. We'll skip, we'll skip down. It's talking about the, uh, the uh, rod from the stem of Jesse. That's the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? Verse 6. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together and a little child shall lead them. Can you imagine that? That's what it's going to be like. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together. What a sight that'll be. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now that's normal. That's earth in its right state. And praise God, it's coming soon. And if you know Jesus Christ, we're going to have a little seven-year break. Well, we're out of here. And we're going to be going to the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're going to finally see our Savior face to face. It'll be so wonderful. During that time, God's going to do business on this planet. He's going to do what, I'll tell you, it says in Romans 7, the earth is straining for Him to do. He's finally going to do it. He's going to bring judgment on this whole scene get rid of this world system, and then Jesus Christ is going to return in glory and we're going to come with him. And it's going to be a thousand years like you can never imagine. Except then, then it's going to get better. Because then we have the new heavens and the new earth. And neither shall there enter in anything that can hurt or destroy ever again. No sin, nothing. Praise his name. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. <clears throat> thank you that you didn't leave us in the dark. It has so much in it. Not only who you are, who we are, how we can know you, but even things to come. And Lord, as we see what you're going to do to this world system and the things around us, Lord, it it really challenges us. It scares us, really. Lord, we need to be holy. We want to come out from among her, as you say. We want to be seen separate in the world, but not of it. Help us, O Lord Jesus, to be faithful until you come for us. For we ask it in your precious name. Amen. Amen.